Hey everybody, this is Ryan James with I-Squared Ministries, and I'm really excited to do kind of a special podcast today. I have my friend Esther on, and she is a young adult, and she is about to hit the mission field in the nation of Turkey, and I'm just so encouraged by her story, her testimony. I think you'll feel inspired and encouraged of what God is doing, stirring young adults to labor amongst Muslims. So Esther, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about growing up, uh, what community you were kind of a part of, uh, and uh, your parents, and uh, your heritage. So I was born and raised in California, um, but my background is Korean, so I grew up in a Korean family, went to Korean church, and both of my parents, they loved the Lord, they served in church as long as I can remember, and they're involved with, as of now, they're involved with the prayer movement. That's amazing. So uh, for everybody uh, that's maybe unfamiliar with the prayer movement, um, currently in the earth, there's about 10,000 houses of prayer slash prayer movements that are uh, exploding all over the nations. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have found hardly any. And the Lord is giving an eschatological sign. Malachi 1.11 says that incense will arise to his name in every place. And this is truly happening across the earth. And Esther and her family have been uh, laboring uh, in the House of Prayer movement for, for a number of years. And so, yeah, why don't you talk about kind of the House of Prayer, being involved in the House of Prayer, and how that has impacted you uh, just growing up? Because I, I think you told me you were uh, in high school when you started being involved, and how has that impacted you over the years? Yeah, so when I came to the House of Prayer, I was I was a freshman in high school. So um, that was just a time when I was really just finding my identity and really started getting hungry for the things of God. And so before, like I said, I grew up in church, like I had an understanding you know, about Jesus, the Bible, all that, but I didn't really have that personal reality with the Lord. And mm -hmm. so I remember like I came and I was just like really starting to seek the Lord. Like I would read the Bible more, like I would pray more. I'm like, okay, like I have to, I have to encounter God. Like I want to mm -hmm. hear his voice. Like. And I remember like I was sitting, like I was at the house of prayer and just during one of the worship sets, like I just felt the presence of God and I never felt it that way before in my entire life. And I just started weeping. Mm -hmm. I felt the love of God and I felt the Lord speaking to me like, you know, it's not what you do for me that makes me love you, but it's who I am. And I love you because I am love and just feeling his overwhelming desire and love for me. So that completely wrecked my life. And since then, I've just been at the house of prayer, you know, being in the prayer room. I remember, like, I would, like, when I was in high school, like, I would just do school, like, throughout the week. And on weekends, I would just live in the prayer room. Like, I just camp out there, like, go, go at, like, 10 in the morning and stay till, like, 6 p.m. Just, like, in the prayer room and just being, like, just being hungry for the Lord. And so, um, yeah, that was just really, like, a sweet time for me um, Wow. when I was younger. So, um so I guess tying that to when I started getting a heart for the mission field, I remember this was, um, I think I was, so this is after high school. So it was like right before, like I was starting, you know, college and stuff. So I was, I was in the prayer room and I was praying before I had no heart for missions wow. whatsoever, like no grid for like, you know, overseas missions, no heart for the nations. I was just like, I'm called to America. Like I'm going to stay mm. here, go to school. And I studied um, film in school. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to stay here, do media and whatnot. So um, anyways, so I, I had no grid for missions, never saw myself as an overseas missionary. But I remember this one time I was in the house of prayer and I was praying and in the back of the, the prayer room, there's this big world map. 
And I remember just like pacing in front of that and just seeing the nations. And then I felt like the Lord speaking to me saying like, he's going to send me the nations. And I was like, okay. Like, wow. I was like, okay, Lord, like then, so where are you going to send me? And at that time, like he was really highlighting just long story short, it's a you know, longer story, but long story short, he was highlighting the 1040 window. Mm. And so I was just like, okay. And at, at that time I was like, this isn't the Lord. Like, this is like, this is my own thoughts. Like, you know, whatever, I'm not going to think, I kind of put it on the back burner for a while and okay. didn't really think much about it. But then there's several confirmations. Like I realized like this was from the Lord and about a year later in 2012, I had the opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip to an unreached region region in Russia, wow. actually um, called the North Caucasus. And so that area is predominantly Muslim. There's about 50, 60 unreached people groups. Wow. And some of them don't have the Bible in their own language. Mm-hmm. They don't have a church or a missionary. And so that trip really opened my eyes to the reality of the unreached nations and unreached mm-hmm. people groups that still have yet to have a witness of the gospel. And so... Yeah, so I think that's really what set off this whole course of this is I knew like this is what I'm called to like I want to give my life to bringing the gospel to the unreached nations. Well, I love uh, just that you were in the place of prayer that you were just seeking God. You were in a in a heart posture of receiving the love of God, going deeper in the Word of God, and it was in that context that you became vulnerable to the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord thunders in your spirit, says, I'm sending you to the nations. About how old were you? Do you remember when that? I was 18. 18. So just curious, did you have, uh, you know, do you have any, uh, did you have friends at that time period that uh, the Lord was having them on the same journey? Or was this kind of a unique thing for you? Actually, at first, I was kind of like, I was the only person that really like mm. had that heart. And I remember like, I went to this one prayer meeting and it was actually with the with the Russian community here. And it was like, I was the only non-Russian person there <laughs> praying for the nations. It was so funny. But wow. anyways, but later I did like meet a couple friends like who also had a heart for the unreached nations. Mm. And we actually went together to, yeah, to North Caucasus. So that was wow. really sweet. Yeah, it reminds me of the Moravian movement that... The, if you aren't familiar with the Moravians, what happened was they started in the context of night and day prayer, pressing into God. And what happened was, as they touched the living God, they touched the God who has a zeal for the nations and for a zeal for his son to be made famous in all the nations. And they ended up being the largest and very first Protestant sending uh, missionary movement all over the world. And it was the Moravians that touched John Wesley. And it's because of uh, a, a missions movement that was birthed in the context of night and day prayer. And we feel like uh, the Lord is doing that again all over the earth right now. There's a merging of prayer and missions movements coming together as one reality. And we know that uh, that God is going to pour out his spirit again. Uh, that there's a, a, another Joel 2, Acts 2 uh, outpouring coming upon his church. And we know that from the early church that the Lord did that in the context of the Great Commission so that the, the apostles could be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we know that it's going to take a great empowerment of the Holy Spirit to finish the Great Commission among Muslims. Come on. And so I love that uh, you're... Uh, your heart for the nations was birthed just like those Moravians in the place of prayer. 
Um, so tell us now, just fast forward a little bit, how did uh, Turkey, how did the nation of Turkey get on your grid and how did that kind of begin to formalize in your life? Okay. Um, so when I went to, when I went to North Caucasus, uh, we were there for two and a half weeks and then afterwards we had a short, like couple days in Turkey. And so during that time, like, I think that's really, really when the Lord started giving me a heart for, um, the nation of Turkey. And so I remember I came back to the States and, um, I uploaded this video on YouTube of me singing a worship song in Turkish. Cause we learned like, you know, different um, worship songs. And so I uploaded this one video didn't really think much about it but then I remember after I posted it like a bunch of Turkish people started following me and like commenting on my videos I mean they're not believers saying so and I'm singing about Jesus I'm singing about the cross and you know they're like wow like this is amazing like you know you're not Turkish you're Korean but you're singing in Turkish and so it was just really amazing to see the response so so the people group that you were uh, within Russia mm-hmm. spoke Turkish and that's how you learned Turkish no, or so I was no so this is a different you know, okay. people group but they so from Turkey Turkish people were responding to my video yes and so that's that's kind of how that whole thing started and so then I was like okay like you know I I didn't really think about it much then but then you know a couple of years later after I finished school like the Lord you know brought that YouTube channel to mind and so I felt like the Lord was telling me to continue doing that channel to reach Turkish people through YouTube, through media, um, with the gospel. And so that's really when like my focus shifted more to focus on the nation of Turkey. Wow. So, uh, so now you started that YouTube channel. You've been interacting with Muslims through media, which I think is amazing how the Lord can use technology to uh, bring the nations together. Uh, obviously the enemies use media in a terrible way, but we know that the Lord is going to use it and redeem it and use it to finish the Great Commission. So what has your experience been like in this YouTube channel interacting with uh, with Turks? So how it works is, so on my YouTube channel, like now I, you know, I do videos on different topics. Like, so my, my audience is primarily like high school students, college, so it's a, a younger audience. Um, and so the content that I make, you know, I'll talk about like Korean culture, I'll talk, I'll talk about like Korean language and I'll do like different videos and that attracts a lot of young people. And through that, I would build like relationships, like one-on-one and in a one-on-one context, I would share the gospel with them. So that's been really neat doing that, like while living in America, being able to reach out to young people and share the gospel. Wow. So we know that Turkey is kind of in a uh, volatile state now. Uh, mm-hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit about what's happening in Turkey and, and just kind of your thoughts and just uh, internal uh, maybe wrestles or things you're praying into specifically about to hit the field in, in right. Turkey. Right. So, um, you know, I'm not an expert on everything that's going on in Turkey right now, but just to give a summary, um, over the last year in 2016, there was the, the coup attempt in Turkey. And so... Since then, I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, opinions and different voices speaking to what hap- what actually happened. But I mean, regardless, um, since that time, it's been a lot more difficult for missionaries that are laboring currently in Turkey. And so there have been a lot of uh, missionaries who've either been kicked out of the country, they couldn't extend their visas, or just different circumstances where it's becoming more and more difficult to share the gospel there. And so, um, and so, you know, I don't, honestly, we don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, definitely it's becoming more challenging. And so that's something also I've been wrestling with as I'm about mm-hmm. to head out to the field, like, you know, in a week now. But um, 
but just really like, you know, realizing, you know, realizing the challenge, but also knowing like, you know, wherever the Lord sends you, you know, whether it's the nations or even in the States, wherever the Lord sends you, it's like, if you're in the center of his will, that's the safest place Amen. you can be. And so I think that's kind of what I'm holding on to as I'm going out. I, I have a, personally, I have a, uh, a, a real unique place in my heart for Turkey, just because it was such a birthing center for the early church and all yeah. the seven cities of the book of revelation are in the, uh, you know, in the nation of Turkey. And then Turkey became the center of the Islamic Caliphate for so many years, mm -hmm. the Ottoman Empire, and it's just such a unique, unique country. It's a completely different culture than Arab culture or even Persian culture. Right. So it's uh, it's very interesting. Um, you know, our boss Joshua Lingle, um, he uh, had a, a story where he went to Istanbul and walked up to a you know a lady in the street and. Um, and, and typically Muslims have not been very orthodox. They've been somewhat just cultural in Turkey, but things are, are, are changing now, uh, you know, kind of polarizing. Some are getting more fundamental and some are getting more secular, it seems. But uh, Joshua walked up to this lady and just said, hey, did you know a, a Muhammad had 11 wives? And this lady was absolutely shocked. And after about three hours, on the very first conversation, she came to Christ and wow. was baptized in the first week. And, and so we know that the harvest is uh, plentiful in Turkey and that Muslims have come to Christ. Uh, the church there obviously is, is uh, there's an Orthodox church, but in terms of a missional church that's doing the Great Commission, that's pressing into God, it's a very small remnant. Yeah. And so... Um, I think yeah. the number was something like in Turkey, there's not, it's 99% Muslim and about, I think it was like 0.1% Christian. So there's, I think the last time I read this, the stats, it was about 5,000 believers wow. in Turkey out of 40 million people. There's only 5,000 believers in Turkey. Oh my goodness. Such an unreached country. Right. Um, so um, I want to talk a little bit now about uh, Mission Muslim University. Uh, and how MMWU has impacted your life. So maybe talk a little bit about kind of how you used to go about reaching Muslims and maybe uh, the journey of MMWU and, and kind of how you, um, uh, uh, how things have changed now in your life. Yeah. Wow. So um, MMWU, um, it really, I've seen a change since, I mean, before I was already, you know, sharing the gospel with my Muslim friends and I was already doing that. But after I started taking the course, it shifted my view and even the way that I did missions and sharing the gospel. So um, for me, I remember like, you know, when I first started, like I would, you know, it's very like, you know, relationally based. And I, and I do believe like the gospel, you know, we, the gospel does go forth in the context of a relationship. But um, it was very much, you know, it was not very, it was a lot more laid back and I, I wasn't very pointed in my presentation of the gospel, but I really felt like doing MMW really helped me to hone in on like how to talk, engage with Muslims and like having a better understanding of what they believe, their belief systems, what they believe about Christianity and really being able to demolish those things and really go like systematically learning those things. And, and I've even noticed like, you know, when I start doing my MMW homework, it makes me more excited to share the gospel. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to share this with this friend or I can't, you know, or like, oh, this argument makes sense. Like, I can't wait to share this. And it's so it really, it really gives you a practical application of what you're learning. And so I think that's really been helpful for me. Yeah, it's been amazing. Eileen is a, a part of a, uh, 
kind of a relaunch of Mission Muslim World University, uh, a pilot program. We have about 25 students in right now, and it's been amazing watching them uh, go through the homework, the videos. Uh, we do these live interactive sessions, and uh, and then they go out and share the gospel and just hearing the stories. Um, and the Lord's really doing an amazing thing. And and we find that a lot of missionaries they will uh, they'll hit the field, and they've had very almost no theological preparation on how to deal with Islam. Specifically, they have lots of uh, cultural preparations and almost every missiology program that's sending missionaries uh, really focuses in and hones in on you know 99% uh, cultural preparation but in terms of a robust theological understanding to confront the gods of the nations that's what really sets MMWU apart is that we start with theology and move towards culture instead of starting with culture and moving towards theology and so um, yeah, I'm uh, really encouraged by uh, yeah just how this uh, this has prepared Eileen, and we're gonna have a uh, you know our uh, a student there in Turkey. Uh, Joshua's you know sent many many people. Uh, our boss has sent many many people into the the Muslim world, and uh, but this is uh, you know kind of a, a unique thing because um, I uh, because Esther has the um, the, the DNA specifically of the prayer movement and of the missions movement together. And so why don't you talk a little bit without being too specific, um, just about kind of what you'll be doing when you first get there. So um, in Turkey, I'll be uh, working with, there's another house of prayer um, in Turkey that I'll be working with and uh, another missions group there. And so um, my plan is to continue doing my YouTube channel, but also, you know, doing outreach, doing evangelism, being involved in the prayer room there. And so um, that's what I'll be doing. But also one thing I want to mention uh, back to the MMWU. So mm -hmm. um, I think one thing that's really important that what I realized was that it's so important to know what you believe, what you stand on and knowing and really knowing Jesus for who he is. I remember doing this one assignment um, where we were comparing, you know, between Muhammad, which is the final prophet of Islam, and Jesus, and just going through, like, you know, listing, like, you know, what are the, the, the differences, and just seeing how when you compare Jesus, like, really, there is none like him. There's none mm. that can compare. Like, yes. he came, like, you know, you see Muhammad, like, he was engaging in these battle campaigns, and he was, you know, conquering for the name of, for the sake of Allah, for the sake of Islam, where Jesus, he came to give his life as a ransom for mm. many. He came to serve, not to be served. And so, and just seeing that contrast really actually made me love Jesus more and made me realize, like, wow, like, I, mean, I will give, I will go to the ends of the earth for this man. And so it just really, I think it also helps to have that foundation because there's so many movements where we also learned about a movement um, called Chrislam mm. where, you know, it, it combines mm. Christianity and Islam tries to br bring this, you know, syncretism. And so mm. it really is a safeguard, you know, even from things, you know, that kind of thinking where it's like, you know, oh, you know, the same God of yeah. Islam is the same God of Christianity, or it's like, we're essentially doing the same thing, you know, trying to please God. Yeah. There's so many people who are saying that, but it's so important to distinguish, like, who is the God of the Bible? Like, who is Jesus? Like, what is the gospel? And why is it different from every other religion? And so yes. I think that really is a key foundation for anyone you know who's going to the mission field any work even and any christian really mm. should take this course and so i just wanted to say that wow yeah that's amazing i uh i absolutely have a passion for 
the, uh, the missiology and how to do missions in light of Islam and uh, having a clear understanding of, uh, of who Jesus is historically and theologically from the scriptures. And then having a, a robust understanding of the Jesus of Islam and how they're completely different people. Yeah. Um, and how they're, it really is not reconcilable. You can't reconcile the Islamic Isa of the 7th and 9th century with the 1st century Jewish king and God of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. Um and so I, uh, I, I love that, um, you know, that you've grabbed hold of that and you'll take that with you. I'm sure that uh, you'll impact many of the believers in, uh, in Turkey as well. So Esther, tell us a little bit about uh, kind of the redemptive purpose for uh, Koreans and uh, how is it that, because uh, I've heard other stories of Koreans getting a heart for the Middle East and even for Turkey. So what's God doing in, in, in just your understanding with the, the Korean church in terms of missions and uh, with the Muslim world? Um, I think in my limited understanding, <laughs> um, I mean, I do know definitely there is a move of missions from the Korean church, um, not just in Korea, but like in America, just, you know, Koreans throughout the world. I think there's definitely, there's a call on, you know, Korean people to bring the gospel to the last and unreached nations. And so, um, I think that's been really exciting to see just like how, you know, with Korea, like Korea has the history of the prayer movement, you know, because in Korean history, like, you know, Korea went through uh, many wars, and just went through tremendous suffering. And from mm. that suffering was birthed the prayer movement. Wow. And so like for me, like, I mean, I'm, I think I'm fourth or fifth generation Korean. Mm. So like my grandparents, my great grandparents, like they were some of the first believers wow. in my family, like living through that time period where, you know, there was suffering, where there was war and for them, all they had to cling to was the Lord. Wow. And so really just like the generations of, you know, I think about the prayers of my grandparents and like, you know, they're praying for me and, you know, just seeing how like that actually like from that place of prayer is birthing the last, you know, the, the laborers that will bring the gospel to the last frontiers. And so um, I really think that in that sense, like, you know, the Lord is doing something unique. And of course, like you know, every people group, like the Lord has a specific destiny and calling, but and I do, I do believe for, you know, especially for the Korean people, like they're, like the Lord has a special destiny for them related to prayer and missions. Wow. Yeah, it always struck me how, um, how intense the Korean community is, specifically <laughs> in terms of prayer mm -hmm. and in terms of missions. And, um, you know, I, I remember uh, uh, kind of one of the key leaders in the, the American House of Prayer movement went to uh, Korea and talked to uh, one of the main guys there who kind of helped start uh, Prayer Mountain, uh, which has been going 24-7 since the 70s. And uh, this guy, the Korean, was like just telling, you know, us American, and, and we've, we have this small House of Prayer thing going compared to what the Koreans have been doing. <laughs> and, and he's... And, and the Korean goes, no, what you're doing is amazing because you're getting young adults in America to pray night and day. That is a sign and a wonder. And, and it's, you know, that kind of made us pause and think a little bit. It's like, yeah, I guess uh, the, that's pretty abnormal for American young adults who have mm -hmm. so many other things. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that, uh, you know, the Korean culture 
is also in somewhat of a war, and it seems like the young adults in Korea are um, are not necessarily following in the yeah. footsteps of uh, of their uh, you know of their parents and their grandparents in terms of having this revival missional spirit. So it, yeah. it seems like we have some young adults that are really going hard, and then we have so much just worldly perversion and all kinds of different things. Uh, do you have any comments about kind of what's happened with uh, Korean youth? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, it, it's a sad reality that, like you said, like the young people aren't following in the footsteps of like previous generations and really like, you know, a lot of the, like the prayer mountains that you mentioned, it's mostly like, you know, older people, mm. you know, that are praying or like in the church, it's like, you know, mostly like older ladies and like it's the young people aren't really connected to the bigger story of what God is doing. And so that's definitely something to pray because I remember one of my um, my friends was telling me, like, she's also Korean, but she's talking about, like, the history of Korea. Like, mm. when there was revival, like, before the revival, like, came to Korea, like, in the 70s or something. I don't remember um, the exact date, but um, she was saying, like, you know, the the believers there were praying, like, God, if you give us revival, we will send 100,000 missionaries wow. to the hardest and darkest places wow. on the earth. And revival <laughs> came. And so it's like, okay, like, we need to live up to, like, we need to, you know, stay true to our word. And so... Um, I really think like this is a time to pray like even with what's going on in Korea like you know I don't know if you're following you know just with what's happening in the north and the south and just the increasing tension just really praying for the church in Korea to wake up especially the young people to rise up and step into their calling yeah absolutely we um, we uh, actually I our I squared uh, leader Joshua Lingle is going to Korea and uh, he is going to be mobilizing and training uh, a number of believers there. And uh, so we have a, um, a connection with uh, the Korean church. Um, we have I-squared leaders in Korea that are um, overdubbing the um, I-squared Mission Muslim World University curriculum into Korean. And that's exciting. We're about to get the, the first course done in Korean. They've, they've already put the uh, Krizlam book on insider movements into Korean. And so there is a, there is a a deep hunger for um, the in the Korean church to uh, to be uh, trained and mobilized and uh, and so we we need to like uh, like Esther said we need to keep praying for the youth and um, so Esther I just you know I'm so encouraged by your story and um, you know I've I've heard uh, so many young adults who get marked. Uh, have a, a moment in God, and they feel called to go to the mission field. And I've probably talked to, I would say, hundreds of young adults who have actually been marked, they feel called, but they've not yet done it. They've not yet followed through. It's either the finances or the uh, life situation they're in or whatever. Why don't you just tell us a little bit, just kind of some final thoughts on what actually was it that got you from being marked and having a heart, you know, because I've had a lot of people say, yes, I have, I have a heart, to actually going. Because that's what is, in, in my mind, is lacking. It's that follow through, that last kind of thing that gets you over the hump of going, no, I'm actually going to do this. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, I think that goes back to the age old question of like waiting on the Lord versus stepping out in faith mm. and trusting that the Lord will direct your steps. And so, 
I think for me, um, I mean, I've, you know, I've had a heart for, I'm 23 now, so I started, it's been about five years now since mm. I've had a heart for missions. And so, and now I'm finally going out to the mission field. And of course, like, you know, there's life circumstances that happen. Like for me, like I was finishing school and I was serving at the, at, in the prayer movement. Um, but I think really it is the reality of what it's that relationship that you have with the Lord. It's constantly being sensitive to the Holy spirit. And I think just always being ready. Cause you never know, like, you know, when the Lord will send you for me, like, I remember like, you know, I, my personality is I'm very like type a, like, let's do this. Like the Lord mm. said, go, I'm going to go right now. Like, okay. I'm going to drop everything and leave. So for me, like, I remember like every summer I, you know, sign up every like missions opportunity I would go, like everything mm. I would try, you know, in my own, you know, zeal to go. But then, um, for me, what the Lord was teaching me was to really wait on him and, you know, be sensitive to him and like wait on his timing versus mm. me trying to make things happen in my own strength. And so really, you know, regardless of whether you're in the, you're in the camp of, you know, wait for the Lord to speak mm. and then go, or if you're in the camp of, you know, go and the Lord will direct mm. you. I think it really comes down to your obedience, constant surrender, and just even like just being prepared always, you know, the Lord can say go and like you're ready to go or like, you know, constantly like praying like, Lord, like you gave me this calling, like I'm going to be held accountable for this. Like this is yes. my talent. Like you've entrusted me with this calling. I want to, I want to be counted worthy. Yeah. So just, you know, praying like every day, like, Lord, count me worthy. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. Like, where do you want me to be right now? Like, where can I bring you the maximum glory, yes. you know, in what, whatever assignment, whatever location. And so I think really it does just come back down to that. It's just, you know, that obedience, that, sur that surrendered heart to the Lord and the Lord can do anything with that. Yes. Yeah. I, um, man, I, I think that, uh, yeah, you nailed it just talking about and, and to me a lot of what you said comes back to just the practicality of you genuinely have a prayer life and a genuine relationship with Jesus and we're all weak and broken and, and we'll all find ways to cop out but if we continue to go back to that man and connect with him he'll enthrall our hearts again encourage us again mm -hmm. so that we'll actually do it yeah. and uh, over time he'll give us the strength and uh, the ability to follow through uh, so I think one of the main practical things that keeps people off the field um, as young adults who um, get marked but then don't know how to follow through was just figuring out how to uh, find an organization maybe they don't yeah. know who to work with and then they don't know how to do the money thing and so yeah. without being specific about the organization uh, talk maybe just talk about how uh, your, 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 um, yeah, your journey, uh, raising support and, uh, just getting, uh, what you need and, and the balance with faith versus the practical support raising right. And stuff. Right. Um, so, I mean, I believe that the Lord always provides for you to walk out the assignment that he's given you, like always a hundred percent. Like there's no, you know, just even for me, like, you know, as I was getting ready to leave for the field, like, you know, everything, you know, I was just talking with Ryan about this, but it's like the people that supported me were the people that you would never expect would support. It's mm -hmm. like the people who, you know, maybe financially they aren't as doing as well, or, you know, they're also missionaries. They're also raising their supports. So they're not, you know, financially they might not be doing as well, but they poured so much into supporting me. And so it's just like, you know, really the Lord, he really does provide. Mm -hmm. He's a good shepherd. He's Amen. a good father. And really like he wants us to fulfill his calling on our lives even more than we do. So how much more will he provide the finances <laughs> to do that? So I think it's really just having, you know, just trusting the Lord and step out, you know, asking, you know, when you're doing your support raising, like talk to people you would never 
you know, expect to give. And a lot of times they will. So um, I think, yeah. So you had to actually go talk to people, right? You, right. Can't, you can't just sit in a room and pray, right. right? Yeah, I can't just, you know, I can't just say, like, okay, Lord, like, send me the money. But it's like, you know, of course you pray. But at the same time, it's the walking out in faith and approaching people, you know, sending out support letters or, you know, setting up meetings with people. And, um, and of course, you know, while you're being sensitive to the spirit, because, you know, you can also like, you know, overly zealously, you know, like, I'm going to send my letters to everybody, like, you know, yeah. so just really having that balance of you're hearing the Lord and also stepping out in obedience. That's a lot of work, too. I mean, it's interesting to me how, you know, I always think about maybe the story of how God uh, rose up prophetic uh, voices to encourage the people to rebuild the temple in the minor prophets and the word of the Lord came that God was going to be with them to rebuild the temple but my goodness the process was intense mm -hmm. and it took real work and yeah. um, and so uh, in terms of raising support it's real work you have to dig in and it's laborsome how long um, Esther did it take you to uh, you know uh, build up a partnership team so that you can actually hit the field and know mm -hmm. that you're gonna you know have money yeah, so I did, so when I was serving in the in prayer movement, I did have a small support team, so I had those supporters already, um, but when I started support raising for Turkey, it, it was about a four to five month process. I okay. started like in about April, I think, April or May, um, and so then like I was already writing out my letters, sending them out, you know, messaging people, setting up meetings and stuff, and so, I mean, it is, it is work for sure. And of course, you know, I know I didn't do it perfectly, but you know, definitely there is, there is labor involved in building a support team. Wow. So that's amazing. And five months or so, that's a, that's a very uh, quick uh, turnaround time. I, I know the average time for somebody to get fully funded is about two years. So uh, that's oh, wow. amazing to hear uh, four to five months. Um, so yeah, Esther, I am just so encouraged. Um, yeah, with this whole story. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being on today. And um, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to leave with uh, leave with any young adults in terms of uh, maybe they're apprehensive, maybe they have thought about the Muslim world, but they're they haven't yet uh, taken the leap um, as somebody who's sitting here 23 uh, single girl uh, in the world's eyes, you might be the last person on the planet who the world would look at and say, yeah, this, this is a good candidate to go to the Muslim world um, to reach Muslims with the gospel. Um, you know, a young, single uh, Korean girl, I mean, completely different culture, completely different language. Um, you know, in, in a lot of times Muslim world, they don't respect women that much. But, yeah. but what we're seeing is that God is moving, and historically, the crazy thing is, God has used single women more than anyone else <laughs> to impact the nations uh, for Jesus. And so, um, yeah, any single girls or even uh, guys out there, uh, any final thoughts in terms yeah. of, yeah, using your youth, your your 20s to do uh, global missions? Yeah. Oh, man, I think I think it's just the realizing the worth like the worth of jesus and how like he's so worthy and just the reward that you get in eternity it's like you know we're not like we're pilgrims on this earth it's like you know this life is momentary but it's like we have one shot at giving our all to love jesus and i think i think really it's just about like our obedience to the lord and saying yes like you know wherever you want to send me whatever you want to do 
And really, it's the joy of laboring with him. Like, he's with us in it. It's like, you know, we're not, he never sends us where he is not going. Like, he is with mm -hmm. us. He's laboring there with us. And it's just our yes. And he just does the rest. All we do is say yes and go. We just show up. And, like, he's the one encountering hearts. He's the one setting heart to free. He's the one, you know, revealing himself. And so it's really just saying yes to him. And I think, like, you know, he just takes you along on the journey. So, yeah, just say yes. Amen. Wow. Well said. Well said. Uh well, uh, I am very encouraged by this. I, I think you will be too. Um, we'll try to uh, give you updates um, from Esther and what's happening with her. And, um, and uh, I'll post a, uh, a link um, in this if, uh, if you want to contact Esther um, and uh, stay connected and even give into her ministry. We'll try to uh, figure out a way for, for those of you that feel um, called to do that. So blessings, and we will talk to you next time.